This is more than my life story. It's more than a podcast. More than a coming out. More story. than a transition. More than a journey of self. More than a story about more than a chance. More than a more than a desperate. More than a parent. More than an opportunity. More than a detail. More than a boy becoming a girl. This is more than Mimi. Episode three: More than relationships. この番組はご覧のスポンサーの提供でお送りします。Patreon.com slash more than Mimi is the best way to show Mimi your support. And to see her complete list of platforms and projects, check out allmylinks.com slash more than Mimi. First, more than therapy. It's May of 2020. Mimi has been living alone for almost a month now, in the home that she once shared with her ex wife and kids. A home that now sits eerily quiet. Something Mimi has yet to fully adjust to. It has also been over a month since she went on furlough from her full time day job, working in an event center, from a daily life of being surrounded by people to constant isolation. The pandemic summer continues. Interior Mimi's home office, noon. Boxes packed with books, DVDs, gaming consoles, and retro video games. Miscellaneous anime figures and knickknacks litter the floor space. A dusty printer and stacks of paper take up all the space provided by a small side table. Mimi enters and drops another box of old hardcover books on the floor, then throws herself down in the office chair. At her desk, Mimi flips open a laptop and waits for it to boot up. She scours through her email inbox for the invite to her online therapy session. She clicks onto a few different windows that eventually link her face to face with a therapist. This was a different therapist than the one she'd been seeing. After specifying a preference for a female therapist, the clinic was finally able to assign one to her. They exchanged their usual pleasantries before beginning the session. Okay, thanks for joining me again. It was very nice meeting you in our previous session and learning about your divorce and the start of your gender transition. Seems like things were mostly okay with your parents and siblings, minus a few potential matters you may want to circle back to later. But if I heard you correctly last time, it seemed like there were some issues with your support network that you wanted to delve further into. So why don't we start by talking about that? What challenges are you struggling with? Yeah, well, it's been sort of an ongoing issue for the last couple of years. The persistent Feeling that nobody really cares about me or wants to be around me. Like they don't even really know me. The real me, anyway. I always thought I picked good friends. Like, for example, take the five dudes who were groomsmen in my wedding. Only two of them even talk to me anymore. The others jumped ship on me years ago, before COVID and my divorce and transition. So, I'm always trying to make new friends, like with my co workers, but they're not interested in me either.、Mm, okay, so forming lasting friendships with your male peers is a challenge, but you're hopeful you can still find others who want to be more actively involved in your life. And you haven't had much luck with the co workers. How much do they know about your current situation? Not much. I came out to my direct supervisor recently through an email. I pretty much had to let him know about the divorce anyway, so I kind of threw in,、uh, oh, also I'm transgender and I'm transitioning to female, and eventually we'll have to update my employee badge and tell the rest of the team. <laughs> he was very cool about it,、uh, said he would do whatever was needed to accommodate me. It's a pretty progressive work environment for the most part, other than working on a team of like 10 dudes who are all straight cis men. How do you expect it will go? Telling your team about your transition. I'm pretty nervous about it because even though they're all progressive minded people, I've also heard a lot of guy talk that's pretty disgusting and degrading towards women. It's going to get weird, I assume, if I ever get back into working in that environment again. And you're hoping you'll be called back in by the end of summer and you'll be going back as Michelle? That's the hope, yeah. They've been pushing the date back each week, though, what with the pandemic and all. 
an event center is likely going to be one of the last places to reopen. So we do online team meetings like once a week, and I'm just trying to not look too trans when I'm talking to them, which frankly isn't too difficult for me right now. I'm not exactly a passable woman yet, if I ever even will be. Actually, I had an embarrassing moment during my last work meeting because I had changed my name on Zoom to Mimi, and I went into that work meeting without realizing it said Mimi has joined, and then I scrambled to change it back to I hope nobody on the team noticed. <laughs> That's not how you want the co-workers to meet Mimi, I could understand that. So, what are you doing to find your support community, and what does that look like to you? Um, social media? I've taken to using Instagram a lot lately. There's a pretty active online community of trans women that I've been trying to involve myself with in small ways. Just liking other people's photos, commenting, and trying to start or be part of a conversation. It's not much, but at least I'm corresponding with others that are like me for once, even if it's just through text and pictures. And how about your in-person relationships? I know that's a little difficult right now because of COVID, but has there been anyone you can connect with in person? Right now, it's pretty much just my sister and parents. My best friends are all out of state, so hanging out with them isn't really an option at this time. Actually, my sister and dad are coming up tomorrow to help me with some house projects I've been slacking on since Abby moved out. We're both pretty highly dependent on our families right now. That's great. I hope that they can help relieve some of that pressure you're feeling. I'd like to ask what an ideal friendship looks like to you. What isn't working about your current or past friendships that you would like to change? Have you given that any thought? Mimi had given that a lot of thought. She still didn't have a great answer for that question, though. Someone who wants to spend time with her? Someone whose company she enjoys? A preference for women over men? Someone who she could go to rock concerts with? Or just hang out at home playing video games or watching stuff together? Pretty much the same criteria she was looking for from a partner. Just someone she could feel comfortable being herself around. And not have to put on this air of deception or secrecy. As a man, her friendships tended to revolve around her shared interests with her male peers. Video games, movies, random hobbies, video production stuff. Bonding with people over specific enjoyable pastimes had always been her method. But of course, those relationships ended up being, to her surprise, quite shallow in the end, as most of those friends weren't sticking around. To really get to the bottom of her relationship problems... As far as her friendships went, Mimi needed to go back through her past friendships and assess them all properly, try to figure out where she went wrong. There's going to be a lot to go through here, so what are we waiting for? Let's dive in! Now accessing Mimi's memories. Segundo. More than married. It's 2014, February in Minnesota. A couple celebrates with their friends and family on their wedding night. It was a beautiful ceremony and reception at the historic Concord Exchange Building in South St. Paul, an old hotel that was renovated into a small event center. See, when they call something historic, that usually means old as shit, which can be quite charming, if renovated and maintained. The couple is Abby and the two first met in November of 2012. Two months later, in January of 2013, they were moving in together at a rental property. Then, six months later, they were buying a home together. By the end of 2013, they were engaged. So, by February of 2014, the young couple had spent a total of 16 months together. 16 months to decide that they would spend the rest of their lives together. This was supposed to be the beginning of the rest of their lives. Their lives together. Married life. One man, one woman. The start of a new family. An emerging of two. A consolidation of assets and a combination of resources. All surrounding the supposed love between these two people. Clearly, 
All good stuff, right? This was all according to plan. Not Mimi's plan, but the plan set in forth by our American society. First, you do the schooling for 20-something years. Then you get the job that will support you for the rest of your life. And then you can get married and start procreating little consumers to grow up and repeat the cycle. Couldn't be any easier. At that time, was not even close to becoming Mimi. At that time, all of that stuff that he thought was the plan was actually delaying his true needs and desires. At that time, he had no one in his life that could teach him the exact information he needed to be able to process any of it, to make the changes that he should have been focusing on. At that time, he thought he had it all. The wife, the home, the friends, the start of a career. He thought he had it all, but none of it would end up bringing him the happiness he thought it would, the life he expected. And on that snowy February night, the night of their wedding, as the young couple danced surrounded by their loved ones, neither of them knew it was all temporary. The relationships forged in that room, stretching back and forward through time, most of those would perish. Let's start by focusing on Mimi's relationships, the ones she considered to be the most important friendships to her at that time, the ones she thought she would retain for the rest of her life. Starting with her groomsmen, the five guys she felt like were her best bros, or his best bros. At that time, Mimi couldn't even imagine what it would be like to be Mimi around them. Five friends, all of which were founded and forged during the schooling portions of her young life, the oldest friendship dated back to grade school. A few of them were from high school, and her best man was a dear friend from college. The night before the wedding was the first time all five of them had ever assembled in one place at one time. So there they finally were, the five friends of the apocalypse. What did friendship between these men look like? The best man best friend receives a remarkably high score on this one. He was one of the friends that stood by Mimi throughout this period, despite a few difficulties. For one thing, he lived in a different state from Mimi. Though distance separated them, they would keep in constant contact through phone calls and social media, and through their various creative projects that they worked on together over the years. One of the best things in Mimi's life, a simple book review podcast with her best friend as co-host, had been the thing she most looked forward to during those painful years of deteriorating marriage. No matter how bad things between her and her spouse got, she could always find happiness in discussing one of her favorite childhood memories with her best friend. So over the years, as they experienced scheduling conflicts and delays, the show eventually died and their friendship fell by the wayside. The two of them would eventually repair their friendship and even revive their podcast, which you can still hear at anchor.fm slash thoughtspeakcast. But without that little bit of happiness to rely on for a number of years, Mimi found herself more reliant on her other friendships for balance. A balance that would not come. Her oldest friendship of over 20 years was still more or less intact. While that friend would prove to be supportive of her lifestyle changes when they came, they spent less and less time doing stuff together over the years, the pandemic certainly didn't help that situation, but Mimi wasn't getting to see as much of her old grade school pal as much as she would have liked these days. And those were her best friendships. The other three guys? Those friendships were shallow and unstable for over a decade. For starters, Mimi had a difficult time selecting even five people to be her groomsmen. She ruled out her two brothers pretty early on, so it had to be five of her friends. The first two I just discussed were the obvious picks, but the other three we're going to have to discuss in a little bit further depth. I can't keep referring to them as Mimi's friend, Mimi's friend, and Mimi's friend, so I'll have to assign them some fictitious names that don't give away their true identities, like I've been doing with everyone on the program so far. The first guy we can discuss, we'll call him Nowhere Man. You know the kind of person who doesn't really seem to ever make plans? They just kind of drift about on the winds of life, following their own desires. A free spirit is how he could be described. Mimi felt they had that in common. 
Nowhere Man had a lot of friends, just by virtue of being so outgoing and friendly. But he never really took the time to call Mimi up and make plans for them to do stuff individually. The friendship seemed to entirely rely upon group settings and functions. He was invited to all of Mimi's get-togethers, but never really invited her to join him for anything. Pretty much the only time they would hang out was when one of the other friends was present. By making this friend a groomsman, Mimi had hoped that he would take that as a sign that the friendship could be expanded on. That never happened. And aside from the occasional appearances at a few parties over the years, Nowhere Man would fade away entirely from Mimi's life. The second groomsman of the apocalypse that we'll discuss, let's call him Duder McBro. Duder McBro was once the new kid in school, who Mimi had befriended due to their shared interests in things like skateboarding and music. But Mimi always got the impression that their friendship was one of convenience, as was the case with a lot of her friends. The connection with Duder was also mostly limited to their shared social gatherings. Hangouts between the two in a solo setting were few and far between all throughout the length of the friendship. Throughout the married life portion, hangouts were a little easier to achieve because their spouses were friends as well. They would do sport leagues together and take trips together occasionally. But the two women eventually quarreled over something trivial and burnt out their existing friendship. And Duder didn't care enough about Mimi to say anything. He just peaced out forever. The last time Abby and Michelle saw them was shortly after their first babies were born. And so Duder McBro and his wife, Dudette McHoe, disappeared, leaving a distinctly disrespectful stain on the decade of friendship. A real Casper of a ghosting you did there, Duder. Nice way to end things. The last guy was the one that she had spent the most time with. The one she enjoyed the most. She even lived with him for several years during their bachelor years period after college. She'd made many movies with him over the years. The two of them were very much like a comedy duo, where Mimi played the role of the straight man and he the comedic foil. Though their interests and hobbies differed greatly, it was always fun to just be around him because of the way the two interacted together, the natural synergy they had to play off each other. Basically, he was a key source of fun camaraderie throughout Mimi's life, and many fun times were had with him. But their time together, it seemed, also had an illegible expiration date on it. For that reason, we'll call him Expired Milk. Because what started as an enjoyable and refreshing experience, over time it was left to spoil. And one of Mimi's favorite drinks that used to be good eventually started to leave more and more of a bad taste in her mouth. Over the years, the two had no issues making plans and hanging out. They played video games together, they watched movies together, they could do just about anything together. Well, sort of. You see, Mimi had felt for a long time that the friendship was fairly one-sided, with her having to always do whatever he preferred, and him never really meeting her halfway with her interests. So she played the video games that he enjoyed, and watched whatever he felt like watching, or going to whatever places he picked out. But never did she receive that same consideration. Her suggestions for activities were usually met with, I don't like that, I don't want to do that, or a similar negative. There was no meeting halfway with this man. Though Mimi showed him so much care and consideration throughout the duration of their friendship, it never felt like she had that same level of consideration or accommodation shown to her. We can take a look at one specific memory, the scene that Mimi considered to be the real end of the friendship kind of moment, the moment she realized that maybe all of this time and energy and consideration she'd put into the friendship with this guy, maybe it was all a waste. Alright, here's an underwhelming memory for you. Let's go. Dialing in. Exterior. Mimi's car. On the road. Mimi is tearing down a city road sometime in the afternoon. She had business that took her away from home and closer to the house of one expired milk. She pulls out her cell phone during a red light. She sends him a text. Are you home right now? If so, I'm going to stop by quick. She doesn't receive a response until several minutes later, after she was already parked in the driveway. Yep. Mimi gets out of her car and enters the home of Spoiled Milk, her former home for a number of years. 
She walks up the stairs to find Mr. Milk sitting on the living room couch. On the table before him is a fragmented puzzle being assembled. Expired Milk barely looks up from his puzzle work to address his guest. Yo, dude, turn on your TV and pull up YouTube. I want to show you this funny video. Uh, what video? I've probably seen it already. You haven't. Trust me, it's funny stuff. Eh, uh, that's alright. I'll just take your word for it. Hilarious. So, you're not even gonna look at it if I put it on? Uh, I'm kinda busy. Mimi doesn't stick around much longer. She leaves with a disappointed realization. This guy has no sense of consideration or care for her. Barely seems to enjoy her company, unless it's doing whatever he wants. This whole entire underwhelming experience puts her off from attempting to make any more plans with this guy. She wonders, if I were to stop reaching out to him to do stuff, how often would I even hear from him? And as the years drag on, she hears less and less from the guy. And when he eventually moved into a new house, Mimi wasn't really shocked that she never got an invite to come and see the new place. Wasn't surprised that he'd stopped including her in things, but that didn't make it hurt any less. It still felt to her like after a lifetime of friendship and being nothing but an accommodating and thoughtful friend, she was simply discarded with seemingly no efforts made to retain the friendship. Mimi reached out to him back in 2020, during that pandemic summer of transitions. It had been almost two years since he and Mimi had seen each other. Mimi had been waiting for an invite to come and see the new house, which never ever came. She'd gotten so sick of the friendships that she didn't bother telling anyone when she got a new phone number. Not like they were using it, anyway. However, a small part of her continued to think, but what if they do try to reach her that one day and invite her to some make-believe event? Surely at least expired milk should have her new number. And so she texted him from her new number. After a few meaningless back-and-forth texts in which she played coy about revealing who she was, eventually she tired of that game and outright stated who it was. My name is Michelle, she started. He responds... I'm married. That's very flattering, but I'm not interested in you like that. Just trying to reconnect. It's been a long time. We stopped playing games together, so that's why we stopped talking. So I assume. But I've changed my phone number, and a lot of other things. And I hope you don't find any of that weird. I know I'm kind of dragging this out more than necessary, but you haven't exactly been trying to get a hold of me these past few years. Michelle, as in It may be possible to rehab our friendship, but I am not him anymore. I have a new identity, and I need you to understand and respect that. I'm cool with whatever you want to do. Great. Well, you know what's not cool? You ignoring me for several years. Never inviting me over to see your new house. Not even checking in with me after my divorce. Basically abandoning me, and I don't know why. I sent you some texts. It was your old number. <sighs> yeah, I've expected that answer. But there's a lot more ways to get a hold of me than through texts. You have my address. You could have stopped by or sent me a card or letter or whatever. But you and your wife have been total no-shows. I know that's just your friendship style. You don't like to put effort in. So is that how you want to continue, with minimal effort? We were both equally as interested in talking to each other, and I'm fine with that. At this point, Mimi is seething with contempt. Her attempts at reconnecting were going nowhere. Okay, well, I tried to reconnect with you, but it's not going well, and I have yet to hear any of the things that I need to hear from you. So I don't think you and Michelle will get along, if this is how you plan to leave things. Expired milk isn't concerned. Mimi could imagine him shrugging carelessly before the next reply. We'll figure it out. Having your new number is a good start. Yeah, it's up to you now, old friend. So, now that you have my number again, maybe now's a good time to tell me what you would have said when you heard about my divorce. I probably said good for Abby since you were trying to cheat on her with a prostitute, but I don't remember. And we need to break slightly from this memory for a small explanation, because it definitely requires one. What expired milk was referring to there happened during a trip the friends had taken to Amsterdam back in 2019. 
If you know one or two things about Amsterdam, it's probably that they have legal cannabis and legalized prostitution with a famous red light district. So during the trip, the red light district was something that Mimi was interested in seeing. And tour it they did. But to be crystal clear, Mimi did not at any time enlist the services of a prostitute. Didn't even consider it. Only a passing interest in viewing it from the outside. As a tourist. But she supposed even that small display of curiosity came across as actual intent to her friends. Maybe. Who knows, really? It's, it's a really weird and ugly accusation to level at a friend. Like, what the f***, dude? Why would you say that? That's a super f***ed up thing to accuse a friend of. So Mimi responded thusly. Tried to is some pretty extreme phrasing, considering I didn't. Curious, yes, but willing, no. So you can definitely go f*** yourself with any judgments there on that front, dickwad. I think we're done here. I don't owe you or her any apologies or explanations regarding my behavior and conduct. And if that's your primary concern out of the entire situation over the past two years, after like a decade of being a good friend to you, I can see now that you really don't deserve a place in my life anymore. Which I suppose you're cool with anyway. So see ya, dude. Expired Milk didn't respond for a few days. But when he did, it was too little too late. Now that we've hopefully cooled down a bit, I think you should know that I'm super supportive of you or anyone else transitioning. If it leads to a healthier person, I'm all about it. Mimi never responded, never texted him again. She was done trying. He simply wasn't able to perform at the level she needed from her friendships anymore. Didn't even seem able to participate in a conversation about what she needed to hear from him in order to continue the friendship. Listen, folks. You cannot claim to be supportive and do nothing to actually show support. You don't simply get to claim you are without doing any of it. So saying I'm supportive is not being supportive. Please call out the people who bullshit you like that. Because you deserve better. Mimi deserved better. There was one more text to come from expired milk a month later on her birthday as she sat in an empty house, alone and sad and abandoned by most of the people in her life. Happy birthday. Mimi ignored it, just as she had been ignored. And so that was the end of her adult friendships. It was hilariously obvious that Mimi just needed to find better friends. People who cared about her and who wanted to spend time with her. Maybe some queer friends that could relate to her gender identity struggles. Part of her wondered if having friendships with men was the problem because any female friendships she had were always kept at a distance for various gender-binary reasons. We can examine those another time. For now, let's turn the time dial back even further on Mimi's life. We've looked at the friendships that got her through her pubescent years in high school and college and into adulthood, but it might be a good idea to take a quick look at one of the more formative friendships she had earlier on in her life, back in her childhood days. The next item on the agenda is more than childhood. We take a quantum leap back into the 90s, falling into some sort of the gap, if you will. It's around 1997 or so. Jinko jeans were on the rise. The Ninja Turtles had a new sister. The Power Rangers were in space. And Mimi was a 10-year-old boy, riding on a school bus, heading home from another hard day at fourth grade. So, she was probably stressed out about a time test or something. Remember those? Where a teacher would set a little timer for three minutes and make the class try to answer a hundred math questions? The anxiety that caused? Then having to pass your test to another classmate to correct it? The final scoring process? Yeah, you could see how that might have scarred some kids. So Mimi's pretty psyched to be going home to watch some Power Rangers and perhaps help herself to a pack of gushers. Maybe a Dunkaroo. She has no idea she's about to abruptly meet her new best friend for the next couple of years. See, there was this kid on her bus. A new kid. An older boy. He got off the bus just a few stops ahead of Mimi, about two miles up the road from Mimi's old house. And in those days, Mimi's social circle was entirely limited to the people in her public school classes and anyone that lived within a few miles of her rural countryside home. But little did Mimi know a wild card was about to be thrown her way. And it started in the form of a tormentor. 
Interior. School bus. After school. Mimi is a ten-year-old boy riding the school bus home. She sits toward the middle back of the bus, as there was an established hierarchy of the school bus. A social ladder in the form of children's seating arrangements. Oldest kids sat in the back, youngest at the front. Since there were children of all ages riding the bus, maybe 20 or so total, this puts Mimi fairly close to the older kids in the back. Mimi's older brother is on that bus as well, in the far back. Her little sister sits closer to the front. It's a normal day, and the bus load is quite lively with all kinds of childish chatter. Mimi is playing a Game Boy and trying to relax on the nearly one-hour bus ride. But there's a loud boy sitting behind her, 14, maybe 15 years old. The new kid. His name is... Reggie. And not only is this boy loud, he has little regard for others' personal space, as indicated by the constant kicking of the seat in front of him. Mimi's seat. And boy, let me tell you something. Young Mimi hates confrontations. More than anything, she hates speaking up for herself when she's got a problem. But after the batteries on her Game Boy died, she finds herself unable to ignore this annoyance any longer. Mimi sticks her head up over the top of the tall brown bench seats of the school bus. Hey, are you kicking my seat on purpose? Can you knock it off? Reggie sniggers and ignores her question. Seeing the pleased faces of his elder peers and hoping to gain their favor, the boy continues his immature antics and escalates things. He spots one of the straps of Mimi's backpack dangling carelessly over the edge of the seat. He reaches out and yanks it, causing Mimi's backpack to fly into the dirty bus aisle. She goes to retrieve it, irritated beyond all measure. But now the older bully has gotten laughs of approval from the other kids. When Mimi goes to snatch her bag out of the aisle, the boy, keeping a clenched fist on that strap still, yanks it even further out of her reach. Hey, give that back! I'm gonna tell the bus driver on you! Reggie tosses Mimi's backpack further down the aisle. The older kids are all having a great laugh at this needless torment. And now that the bag is no longer in the boy's possession, he can't really get in trouble. Mimi slinks forward, embarrassed and upset, to retrieve her bag. The bus driver eyes her the whole time in the mirror, as if to say, What are you doing in the aisle? Sit down! Mimi rockets back to her seat and makes sure to store her backpack on the inside of the bench seat against the wall. She hopes that would be the end of the conflict, but no. Now the boy has moved on to the next form of bullying. Once he's peeked over the seat and noticed young Mimi's position, he starts extending his hand over the top of the seat back and smacks Mimi on the top of the head. No matter how much she tries to sink into the seat, the older boy's gangly arm can reach her, delivering tap after tap on her head, carefully timing it for whenever the bus driver isn't looking. Mimi finally snaps and flings herself up in the seat. Quit it, dick! More laughs from the older kids. Don't be such a spaz, shrimp. I'm not even doing anything. Mimi sits back down, dejected, but the kicking of her seat back continues. She pops her head out into the aisle to object again, but someone else interferes. Leave him alone, dude. It was Maynard, brother number two of Mimi. He'd been back there watching. A confused look of betrayal crosses Reggie's face. Why do you even care, dude? Because he's my brother? Oh. It was the coolest thing Maynard ever did for Mimi. And luckily, it was Reggie's bus stop, and time for him to conveniently flee the conflict. Mimi watched him pass by and descend the stairs off the school bus, greeted at the end of his driveway by a duo of large dogs. A lot of people out in the countryside had free-roaming dogs. But Mimi was glad to get off the bus shortly after that and return to her familiar, comfortable environment. After arriving home and getting her snack, then sitting down to watch her regular after-school programming, the landline phone at the Olsen house rang. At this time in her life, these calls were rarely ever regarding her, and so she made no attempts to answer it. Someone else did. They call Mimi to the phone. Mimi expects it to be the boy she most frequently played with who lived across the road. She wants to tell him, not today, and get back to Power Rangers. She puts the phone receiver to her face. Hello. What's up? Wanna come over and play? Eh? What? Who is this? It's Reggie, from the bus. You live close by, right? Do you want to come to my house to play? Uh, I'll have to ask my parents. I don't know if I can get a ride. You got a bike, right? Mimi did have a bike. 
She wasn't very good at writing it, but still, it would suffice to get her there. Uh, okay. Cool. See you soon. And just like that, Mimi entered into a strange new friendship with the older boy who once tormented her. It may have helped that she'd never been directly asked if she wanted to play with that exact freezing. She was at an age in young boys' lives when they start to change their behavior to be more in line with what was socially acceptable, and playing was becoming pretty uncool. She had no idea what to expect, or even if it was all just a trap designed by a bully. But she got on her bike and started pedaling down her driveway and across country roads, around a big pond and past the neighbor's disheveled house with two big dogs that chased her every time she rode by, then down his family's driveway with a frantic beating heart. She'll never forget that first interaction as she knocked on the front door, a full-pane glass storm door. Through this storm door, she saw Reggie come sliding into view in his socks on the linoleum tile floor in the mudroom. Mimi cautiously entered. Reggie wrapped her playfully on the shoulders a couple times and said, But a bow! <laughs> what up, shrimp? And so, young Mimi began spending many or most of her after-school days riding her bike over to Reggie's house to play. At first, the age difference was very prominent and a little concerning to Mimi. But after her first playdate, she realized Reggie was just a big kid. Despite being the age of her older brothers, he still enjoyed doing all the childish things that Mimi enjoyed, like playing with toys and video games and watching cartoons. He was hyper and animated, smart and funny. They fed into each other's humor like no one Mimi had ever encountered, and it was the first time she realized how funny she was. Reggie was an interesting character. Mimi learned a lot about him, and just a lot in general. Life stuff. It was extremely beneficial to have an older boy as a friend and sort of mentor. Mimi met and became quite familiar with his family. An older brother and an older sister, his mom and dad and his sister's boyfriend, who also lived with them. Okay, so Reggie and his family were Mormon. His dad, a tradesman of some sort, and his mom was a bigwig within the Boy Scouts of America organization, which had huge ties to the Mormon church. Reggie had moved to Minnesota from Colorado when his mom got transferred to lead the Cub Scouts Mormon sect there. I don't recall what her actual job title was back then, but needless to say, these guys were deep in the Mormon lifestyle. So for them, having their 17-year-old daughter's 20-year-old boyfriend living with them was totally normal. The two were engaged, after all. Mimi learned a lot about the Mormon lifestyle. It was surprisingly different from her traditional Catholic upbringing. For one thing, as she discovered that first day at his house, they had a family dinner with the entire family present. Mimi's family never all ate together at the same time in the dining room. His family also prayed before every meal, and regularly attended church services on Sundays. Over the years, Mimi even attended a few Sunday services and youth activities with them. And besides all the boring religious stuff that she never cared about, she had a lot of fun. Mostly because she got to meet new people and play games. Whenever they started talking about the actual religion stuff, she would just space out and think about being a Power Ranger instead. And she was hooked on all the fun toys and games that he had as well. X-Men, Spider-Man. Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Transformers, Spawn, Crash Test Dummies, Mighty Max, Exo Force, Z-Bots. Okay, how many of those did you get? Reggie was also the kid with the trampoline, a solid friendship quality perk that she would make use of frequently. He also had this crazy new gaming system called a Sunny Player Stationary? It used CDs, so cool. And he was a computer whiz. He had a computer just like Mimi's, except his had Windows 98 instead of Windows 95. Previously, Mimi had thought a computer was just for the paint program and maybe a couple of rounds of ski-free. And there was this awesome disc she had called Encarta that she could put into a computer and it would open this program that was like a digital encyclopedia, a book on the computer. Can you imagine? No, you cannot. One of the coolest things about having an older boy as a friend was that during the time that Mimi's young body was starting to go through some changes, puberty, also known as first puberty to trans folks, not as good as second puberty, especially when you got the wrong one. But having the guidance of someone who had already gone through it was a godsend. It was through her friendship with Reggie that she was able to start talking and thinking about girls in a 
sexual way. And Mimi had already had somewhat of a sexual awakening at an early age, after discovering some Playboy magazines that her older brothers had pilfered from their grandpa's secret stash, I would wager that a lot of 90s boys were awakened like that by happening upon a parent or relative's secret stash of nudie magazines. Playboy and Penthouse were the big ones. As soon as Mimi had discovered at a young age that not only were there some pretty significant differences between adult boys and girls, but there were entire printed magazines dedicated to showing off women's bodies, obsession set in. She loved staring at women's naked bodies, almost as much as she loved the Power Rangers. But that obsession was about to take off even more over the years as Reggie introduced Mimi to the next world wonder, the internet. And in particular, the coolest thing she'd ever heard of, internet pornography. All those magazines she'd anxiously collected and kept hidden were now a thing of the past. Now she could discreetly access pictures of naked women just by typing it into her computer. And access it she did. And when the time came, at around age 12 or 13, Mimi learned about masturbation from Reggie. And the less said about a young boy's porn and masturbation habits, the better. Hell, I could probably write a whole other episode on that alone. But who'd want to listen to that? I will say, I think it may be extremely common for boys going through puberty to talk about this kind of stuff with their peers. I don't really think it's the schools or our parents that are teaching us much of anything useful. I think sex education is a topic that our public schools could be handling better and more effectively. Everyone deserves access to the correct information regarding sex and human biology and gender and all of that uncomfortable stuff that we should all know about. Everyone should be on the same page about this stuff, instead of leaving key details open to interpretation, and just hope that the parents are informing their children adequately. For the first year or two of their friendship, she was content just to have a place to go a couple days out of the week to get away from her family and all of the cool toys and perks the friendship offered. The next big shakeup to come out of the friendship with Reggie was after he turned 16 and got his driver's permit. It wasn't long until he had his driver's license and a beat-up 96 Geo Metro Coupe to shuttle himself and Mimi to the mall every weekend. And not just the mall, Mimi's range had increased exponentially, and she could now go anywhere, it seemed. She was no longer confined to only the area she could cover by bike or rollerblades. No longer did she have to rely on her parents or bigger brothers to drive her somewhere. They could go to the beach or the park or to get fast food whenever they wanted. Having an older friend who could drive you places was so awesome. But her favorite place to go was the River Hills Mall in Mankato. They would get lunch there in the food court called the Carousel Cafe, named as such because of the big carousel there. Mimi didn't like to ride it, but it was fun to watch go around. All the seats looked like animals. There was a big arcade there as well, back when arcades used to have the best selection of classic video game cabinets. How many quarters had she dispensed to the Simpsons arcade game, or the X-Men arcade game, or TMNT Turtles in Time? More than a few allowances, that's for sure. Her parents weren't wealthy by any means, but they were sort of well off. Mimi would usually be given a $20 bill and sent on her way each weekend. $20 that was almost always spent on a few new toys. Whatever the local Toys R Us or KB Toys had to offer that month. And those toy stores became like little fun factories to Mimi. Because even if she wasn't buying anything that visit, just being there around all that stuff made her happy. You could say that she was uh, obsessed with toys. And on one such visit to the mall's toy store, Mimi found herself indecisive over which action figure she would buy next. They could spend hours in that store during each trip. The employees probably knew them pretty well. So they were often overlooked and left alone to browse, being frequent buyers. They were spending the entire day in the mall and had already been in once to see the new spring line of Spider-Man toys and this awesome new gaming system called the Dreamcast. During their first visit that day, Mimi had a bag with some items already in it from another store. She stood there, pensively inspecting these two different action figures, attempting to decide which one she would leave with. And this was where she made a critical error. 
She had one of the figures marked in her mind as a maybe to purchase, and in her young mind, she saw no problem with adding the maybe buy to her current bag of goods, moved around the store and became distracted by some other items, forgot about the unpaid merchandise in her bag, and exited the store, deciding not to buy anything. It wasn't until she and Reggie returned home and she dumped out the bag of goods that she realized there was an extra item in her bag that she didn't purchase. Reggie excitedly made note of how easily she'd snuck the item out of the store, intentional or not. The thrill of easily obtaining a free toy was intoxicating to their young minds. It should have ended right then and there. But this event was just the start. Because now that they had some idea of how to steal and get away with it, the pair made it their mission each visit to bring home bonus items with each trip to KB Toys. Here's how they did it. Starting their mall trip with a quick visit to Target and purchasing literally anything just to get a bag. The trick was to have a bag loaded with an item that was roughly the same size and shape as whatever toys packaging they had in their site that week. An action figure was typically packaged with a cardboard bagger that was roughly the size of a sheet of notebook paper, typically a little smaller. The figure itself was sealed in a smaller plastic enclosure attached to the cardboard bagger. So by loading a plastic bag with a similarly sized object, like a magazine or another toy package, it was difficult to impossible to tell exactly how many items were in a bag. And the layout of the KB Toy Store helped in the operation as well. The 10 to 15 feet front end of the store was wide open with shorter double-sided display racks for the newest merchandise in full display of all the other shoppers and even the employees behind the sales counter, the least suspicious area for thievery to occur. There, she'd set her bag on the floor and pick up two of the toys from the display rack to examine, deciding which one to buy, or trying to give the appearance of an indecisive shopper. In reality, she already knew which toy she'd be leaving with, and by her hands, one item would go back on the rack, but the desired toy would instead drop into the open bag on the floor. The two friends would then chat briefly to give the appearance of shoppers deciding to move on to their next destination and briskly exit the store with their spoils. Over the next year or so, this was how their mall trips would go down. She didn't keep track of exactly how many items were stolen or even how long this period of her life lasted, but she remembered how it ended, with her, of course, inevitably getting caught. If she had not been a young white boy at that time, the manager may not have felt so inclined to let her off with a stern warning. They kicked the shoplifting habit from then on. The KB Toys went under in 2009. Mimi had always wondered if she had contributed to putting them out of business. Now, this is all super f***ed up. I know. And I really want to stress that this is not an endorsement of stealing. I don't want anyone to go out there and shoplift for thrills. It was a poor decision made by an immature and stupid kid. One who herself was influenced by a poor selection of older role models. Reggie, her brothers. She avoided picking up the drug habits from them but toys gave her a high that drugs couldn't, and so she pursued that dangerously instead. There is some good to come out of all of this, besides young Mimi realizing that she shouldn't be stealing. All of those toys that Mimi had stolen over the years ended up being donated, specifically donated to kids who were far less fortunate than her, kids who came from a broken home and who could not afford toys of their own. So when she was racked with guilt over the years of stolen merchandise and afraid of being found out, her mom had one day casually offered to take a few of her toys over to the neighbor's house. And it seemed like the right thing to do. And the perfect method of cleansing herself of the evidence. So she gathered it all up into a couple garbage bags and said goodbye, feeling pleased with the final outcome. This was around the time that Mimi was pushing 15 or 16 herself and that age that most of her peers had already put their toy-playing days behind them. She'd always felt a slight pressure from those around her to do the same. And not just with toys. She noticed she was one of the only boys in her class who still obsessed over childish shows and movies, cartoons and anime and playing with toys and Legos. Pressure from society told her that she should have outgrown these things by then. But Reggie made her feel like all of that stuff was still okay. He allowed her to continue being a kid and enjoying the things she liked. In stark contrast, her friends from school, Duder McBro and Expired Milk, would chastise her for being a fan of Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z. Those friends deemed those hobbies for nerds, and she could never enjoy those things around them. 
In fact, she had to hide her Pokemon collection anytime that they came over to her house for fear that they would find it and go through it and start making fun of her. Reggie eventually moved away and went to college. And to the young Mimi, the loss of that friendship hit her kind of hard. To go from a friendship where she felt like she could really be herself and let loose and grow, to settling for friends who made her conform to whatever they liked or thought was cool. And even though the internet was really starting to take off and people had an easier time staying connected than ever before, the friendship with Reggie disappeared entirely. Mimi felt abandoned and neglected by a friend that she'd spent most of her formative years with. Looking back on it now, Reggie had always had an entirely different view on friendships than she did right from the start. For one thing, he was used to moving around a lot. When he met Mimi in Minnesota, he'd already moved on three different occasions from other states. So Reggie was more used to temporary friendships and only having people in his life for years at a time. Whereas Mimi was naive enough to think that friendships formed in her youth would last a lifetime. And when she finally aged up and out of high school and got into college, she would find a very similar situation awaiting her. Friendships were formed around shared interests and hobbies or convenience and proximity. Only about two of them stuck around for the long game of life that Mimi could still call her friends. It seemed to always be a difficult task, finding friendships that could really last as she aged into adulthood. No one seemed to value friendship the way she did. It took her over 30 years to really figure it all out, but what Mimi was afraid of the most was that all of these friends would just disappear. Because no one wanted her around, or no one cared about her, no one really knew her. And the more she felt that others didn't like her or want her around, the more she felt like she should just quit that life and start a new one. And so, eventually, that's exactly what she did. And now, more than shame. It's 2020 again, the year no one liked. Mimi is still in her office, talking to her therapist. She ponders her last question about what an ideal friendship might look like to her. They've got some time left in session, and Mimi wants it to be helpful, even therapeutic. The therapist phrases the question in a new way that sparks a little tiny flame within Mimi. So, is there anything else you could think of that might have contributed to how you formed relationships with boys during your formative years? It's at this point that Mimi felt the weight of this huge memory she'd been carrying along with her for most of her life. She felt like dropping that load for once, setting it down on the ground and opening it up to maybe see if she could unload a little, you know, lighten the load, so to speak. The only trouble there is uh, that she's not exactly happy to be talking about it, you see. And that's because for so, so long, it had been a source of great shame to her. And things like that aren't something you necessarily want to be putting out publicly, making basically everyone aware of. It's not like we want to talk about it, you know? But more like we feel that maybe in doing so, it might just somehow help someone. Maybe help them feel a little better about themselves, if they may have encountered something similar. And it's a hard thing to talk about. For most of her life, from growing up until adulthood, she hadn't discussed it with anyone. Never felt a need to disclose this little piece of her history with anyone. Though over the years, after much internal debate, repression, and eventually acceptance, she can allow herself this one instance of radical vulnerability in hopes that it resonates with some in this small space. Now accessing Mimi's memories. This is The Blank File. I don't really remember the exact set of circumstances that led to me being there. I couldn't really say how it happened. I think my mom knew his mom and they arranged the playdate initially, so I was basically made to go over there. I was like five or six at the time, but didn't really have a choice in the matter. It was just where my parents were sending me. But I don't blame them, really. They were going through a lot of marriage issues and just about to divorce, so they had a lot going on. And that might also be why I didn't ever tell them about it. But this is how I met Blank. Blank was an older boy, I think two years older than I was. 
And on some weekdays, when my parents were working, I was sent to Blank's house after school, after kindergarten. And I think my mom knew Blank's mom because she worked at or owned the convenience store in the town at the time. So I think that's how the idea came about. My mom was like, oh, hey, our sons are close in age and we both need to do something with them while we're working. So why not sort of make them watch each other kind of situation? So I'd go to Blank's house in town and his mom would be working down at the store like a block away. And he had an older sister who was never there for some reason. I think maybe she was in an after school sport like softball. So she was rarely there during my visits. And I don't know what Blank's dad did either. I think he had a job that kept him away from home for long stretches of time, like maybe a trucker. So most of the time during these visits, it was just me and Blank. And like I said, I was in kindergarten at the time, so I didn't really spend any time with other children in my age outside of my family at that point, aside from the two neighbor boys who lived across the road from me. But I was enjoying playing over at Blank's house initially, there was a lot to do. For one thing, we could go down to the store and bug his mom, and occasionally I'd get a free candy bar. They sold live fishing bait there, and I enjoyed playing with the big tank of minnows, scooping them up and dumping them back into the water. His family lived on a fairly big plot of land that was adjacent to the store, and so there's plenty of like outdoor exploration to tide me over. Blank had a Nintendo and a bunch of games that I didn't get to play anywhere else. Blank had toys and movies that I didn't, and all of that was fun. Those first couple of visits were a lot of fun. The memory cuts. <laughs> Mimi is upstairs in Blank's bedroom. There is no one around but the two boys. And while Mimi is enjoying playing with the various He-Man and Ninja Turtle toys that Blank had, the older boy was fishing in his closet for something that Mimi wasn't so familiar with. There are no adults around so Blank feels safe enough to pull out his most prized possession. He spreads it out on the bed. He calls for Mimi's attention, to put down the toys and come look at this. This was big kid stuff. No, this was mommy and daddy stuff. Grown-up stuff. This was a pornographic magazine. I found it in my parents' bedroom, he says. Look at all the naked girls. And that was the first time, probably, that Mimi had ever seen a woman's naked body. Developed. Her only frame of reference for girls at that time was her mom and sister and her kindergarten teacher, a babysitter or two, and the little girls in her class. And now she became aware of just how vastly different boys' and girls' bodies were. This was also when she became acutely aware of what she was. A boy. Blank says, let's do this. Motioning to the magazine spread. The image depicted a young, naked woman with her mouth around a man's genitals. Take your clothes off, Blank says. You be the girl, he says. And here's the shameful part. Because Mimi never knew why the story doesn't just end there. With her running out and telling an adult, telling her parents or a teacher, putting an end to that situation right then and there. Mimi had a hard time understanding why she would comply with Blank doing what he said, allowing him to use her like that. Don't tell the grown-ups, Blank said. We'll both get in trouble, he said. And she believed him. And every subsequent visit, the fun stuff would end in Mimi being sequestered into his bedroom to play grown-ups. She came to realize that's all he wanted from her. And she learned embarrassment, guilt, compliance, secrets, and shame. Eventually, she went to her mom and said, I don't want to go to Blank's house anymore. I'm not having fun playing with him. And her mom thankfully listened. And that was the end of that. She no longer had to be alone with him again. But she still saw Blank on the school bus, or in the hallways occasionally, though they wouldn't interact or look at each other. They both just kind of forgot about it all. But it's very difficult for a child with developing OCD to forget a detail like that. She would learn how to compartmentalize bizarre memories of experiences like this. She could think about it, minimally, and never discuss this private information with anyone. That would just lead to conversations she didn't want to have, questions being asked that she'd rather not answer. So even though she could think about it, 
She didn't really know what to think about it. It was just a shameful, painful memory that she didn't like to revisit. She kept it under lock and key. Until adulthood, when discussing it with a therapist who could adequately put into perspective what had happened to Mimi at a young age, and how being betrayed and taken advantage of sexually was sexual abuse, and to have learned about sex at that young age in such a manner would absolutely affect how she would go on to form bonds with other boys. And for so much of her life, Mimi had wondered if maybe this had something to do with why she turned out the way she did non-binary and transgender, lacking answers and information that could help her, to feel better about herself and the things that had happened to her, her obsession with genders and the differences between boys and girls, men and women, and her own place in that spectrum. But here's the important thing. Mimi has processed it and worked through it, and talked about it with mental health professionals, and shared her story with a very small amount of people she felt she could confide in. It may have taken her 30 years, but she did it, and she's at peace with the past. She's at peace with herself, and she hopes that anyone else who's struggling with their own unfortunate, shameful memories can find some strength and solidarity, knowing you're not alone. It's not your fault that awful shit happened to you. Your trauma does not define who you are, and you don't have to live with the shackles of shame from your past experiences. The only reason I was able to share this shameful memory with you all here was because at some point, I stopped feeling ashamed of the past. I realized I was a victim, and that instead of keeping it private, I wanted to mention the incident from my past. Because abuse in small town communities happens. Abuse happens all over the world, and it's not always the adults abusing kids. Sometimes kids are abusing kids. And if you're a parent listening to this right now, I just hope that one day, your child would feel comfortable or brave enough to come forward and tell you if something like this had happened to them. And finally, more than messes. Back in 2020, Mimi has wrapped up her online therapy session. Her therapist was able to recommend her for a small support therapy group for transgender women, which Mimi gladly accepted. She would be able to meet a lot of people like her in that group. So for now, she has hope that she'll be able to make some new friends in the years to come. But now, her standards for what a healthy friendship looks like would be much higher. She'd made peace with all those past relationships, the failed friendships, and unless any of them wanted to randomly reappear to rehash things further down the line at some point, she would be content with moving on. Mimi left her office and went downstairs to the main level of her home. The living room is a mess. A recent visit from the kids left their main living room space in disarray. Toddler toys and stuffies littered the floor. Additional baby equipment, like a pack-and-play and a specialized swing, take up space. Couch cushions and pillows are disheveled and strewn on the floor, from a three-year-old learning to jump across couches. A load of child-sized bottles and dishes in the sink. It wouldn't take more than a couple of minutes to clean and tidy it all up, an hour tops. But for Mimi, each item she approaches comes with a fresh memory of her kids. And in their absence, those memories stung and overwhelmed her emotionally. An immediately apparent change that comes with hormone replacement therapy in those first months is that additional estrogen made it so much easier for Mimi to cry. And cry she did frequently, almost daily. Certainly every time she thought about her children and how much she missed them. She had worked a full-time job since both of them were born, so she was used to being away from them for hours at a time. But she was starting and ending every day with them. They were in her life every single day. And that's how she always wanted it to be. And because she chose to put herself in this mess, now she can only see them every other weekend. Messy houses and messy friendships and messy emotions. Adult life is just one big mess. A mess consisting of dozens of other small messes. And everyone's probably just trying to untangle their messes separately in their own weird ways. Whatever makes sense to them at the time. And although Mimi had thrust herself into this messy reality, taking on all the challenges and stresses that comes with a gender identity change, she could at least be confident in knowing that she'd managed to totally toss out the biggest, stressful messes from her life. The mess that came with attempting to live the life of this weird guy, this man-boy person. The mess she was in, trying to find happiness in a body that would never bring it. 
a messy lifestyle of unsustainable behaviors and relationships, messy first encounters with sex at a young age, a whole messy dynamic with men in general. For years, these messes built up in her life, and the way of it all destroyed her self-image, destroyed her marriage. But cleaning out the biggest messes in your life are the most important ones to get done. And doing it all in one big cleanse is the fastest way to start the process of fully moving on. Ridding herself of several messes and accepting new ones to fill the void. Like life had always been just a rotating set of different messes that Mimi had to try and think her way out of. And just thinking about it all wasn't getting the real work done that had to be done. By taking those initial steps to change her gender and identity... She was taking charge of her messes. She had her divorce. She had her freedom. She had her name changed. She had the ability to start life anew as Mimi. And that was one mess she was looking forward to trying to solve. And when it got hard for her to pick up after her kids without crying, Mimi had her mom come up and help her. She started to spend more time with her sister and her family. She even saw her dad and discussed an upcoming family trip they were trying to plan. Mimi had that to look forward to, taking her daughter up north for a summer cabin trip. Her first family trip as a single parent. Many messy adjustments would have to take place before she was accepted and treated as herself. As Mimi. She still didn't look like a girl. And getting laser hair removal treatments scheduled for her face was an essential part of presenting as more feminine. That would be an ongoing procedure throughout the summer. She still didn't feel comfortable going out in public dressed in feminine clothing. Doing so typically got her misgendered. She took it slowly, first testing out dressing androgynously and going to a less busy store like her local Goodwill to shop for women's clothes. At this point, she's still rarely gendered correctly by strangers. Her own parents are having a hard time using the right pronouns for her. It's an excruciating and long process seeing the payoff from these changes. So... Don't give up on whichever messes you're trying to detangle in your life. Hopefully, you found some good people worth keeping around that will give you what you need to form fulfilling relationships. Maybe you found an accepting community to be part of. Hopefully, you've learned how to be at peace with yourself. And you can take those positive steps forward in the right direction after you've done some spring cleaning and tossed out some of the excess messes from your life. Don't ever worry. You'll find new messes to replace them. And it's in those new messes that you grow. Next time on More Than Mimi. Mimi takes new steps toward the growth of her identity. There is still so much to do in her first year of establishing herself as a woman. The changes keep a coming. We'll take a look at the biggest ones in that first year. You can't change who you are without making a few adjustments next time on More Than Mimi Episode 4. More Than Adjustments. Thanks for listening. I am more than sorry to have to bring down the mood with this program, but if you are suffering from any form of abuse, please know that you can report it through your state's Department of Human Services, which you can easily find a phone number for online. And for other online resources, you can report domestic violence and abuse at thehotline.org.